0: I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. For to me, to
1: live is Christ and to die is gain.
0: Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things.
1: Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you.
0: In case any of you are worried, we're not going to have two pastors preaching at you (laughs) today. It's just, it's just going to be Jim. But I wanted an opportunity to get to introduce Jim, tell you a little bit about him. Jim came here to the Valley back in 2008 and he was a pastor there, the lead pastor at the e Church there for a lot of years. About three years ago, he retired from that and stepped into uh, being a professor at Yellowstone Theological Institute. He is a professor of pastoral theology there. And so if you have any interest in and around that, get in and around Jim. Uh, but my heart for Jim stems back to just really from the day that you first got here. I took you out to breakfast. I just realized this morning I took you to Perkins. I could have I I picked a better place. <laughs> than that. Uh, But at that breakfast, you just have those times with people and you just say, uh, this is my these are my people, you know, and yeah. our hearts were connected. We've got a chance to do a lot of ministry together. We've even traveled overseas yep. together uh, doing ministry. And I always just tell people that Jim's my pastor. He's been someone that's been a shepherd over my soul for uh, a lot of years. And especially as I stepped into the role in and around here, he's been helpful to me in and around that. Um, a little bit of another transition in Jim's life. Uh, his daughter, Danae and his son-in-law, Doug, are been a part of our church and uh, our church family here, and they just felt the nudge that they wanted to be a part of the church with their family and worship with their family, and so Jim, although he's uh, attended elsewhere for a long time, has become a uh, part of our church, and so we want to welcome him in and around that, and we also want to give him a real warm journey welcome as he brings the word to us today. Let's <laughs> give him a hand. <laughs> yeah, Love Jim.
1: I'm telling you, God and grandkids are persuasive. And our grandkids are here, and we get to worship with them on a regular basis now. So it's good to be here and part of Journey Church. And we're in a series of messages called Discovering Joy. Uh, Kate Warren gives a definition of joy. It's this, joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life, the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right, and the determined choice to praise God in all things. Great definition. And I've been praying for you, knowing that I would speak to you this morning, that your joy would increase. Some of you may be joyless, and I want you to be joyful. Some are joyful, and I want you to be joyful -er. (laughs) But the objective of our time together is that we could really experience this joy that God has for us. So to that end, I've been praying for you, and I encourage us all now to pray that the Spirit would speak to us at this time, that he would teach his truth to us so that we could be joyful. So let me lead us in prayer, and then, uh, then I'll start, uh, look at, we'll look at God's word. Father God, we come with um, open uh, ears to hear what you have to say to us. We pray that you would speak to us and we would hear your truth. And we pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. Now, if you're here and you're like uh, in your 20s or 30s, just raise your hand, raise your hands up there. I want to see those hands. All right. All right. All right. Here, this may not come as a surprise to you, but I don't know much about your music. (laughs) And so to remedy my ignorance, what I do periodically, I started this a few years ago, is while exercising, I just began to listen to a playlist of top hits, and it's been educational. A year ago, I think it was, uh, it just came up on the playlist. I I listened to a song by Cardi B for 30 seconds before I realized it wasn't age-appropriate. And I'm 62. The other thing I learned is this, is, you know, on the playlist, there's these little E's by certain songs. That means erase. So go through your playlist and erase everyone that has an E by it. So I've learned that. Uh, I've learned that uh, Taylor Swift has a new album out and, and I'm not a hater. She, she is my current anti-hero. And another song that I listened to by an artist I was aware of, but I hadn't heard her, her work is Billie Eilish. And I was mesmerized by her melancholy music. Uh, The song that came up was this song simply titled TV. And in it talks about a period of isolation and aloneness that she experienced. And this is how the song opens. She's talking to her lover and she says, I don't want to talk right now. I just want to watch TV. I'll stay in the pool and drown so I don't have to watch you leave. We learn through the rest of the verse, she's watching the show Survivor and uh, talking about that uh, that show, sinking in the sofa while they all betray each other. And then she asks, what's the point of anything? She continues. Now, all my friends are missing again because that's what happens when you fall in love. You don't have the time. You leave them all behind, and you tell yourself it's fine. And she's having this moment of domestic solitude where she's isolated from her lover and doesn't want to talk, watch as he leaves. But she no longer has her friends, and she's alone in this moment. And she captures the emotion of that so well. And then she says this, and I don't get along with anyone, uh, the song's sad, and then it gets sadder in the chorus, because the chorus simply closes by her saying, "Maybe I, maybe I, maybe I'm the problem. Maybe I, maybe I, maybe I'm the problem." And musically, then she adds numerous voices, and there's a chorus chorus of voices saying over and again, maybe I, maybe I, maybe I'm the problem. Baby I, baby I, baby I'm the problem. And that's a sad song. And sad songs say so much. And what she does so well is she captures the emotion through her lyric and her music of isolation and aloneness. She captures many of the aspects of the ethos of our culture and society this day. And when I heard that, I go, I know why she's so popular, because she speaks to people's souls so, so well. That's a sad song that teaches us a good truth, though, that in Scripture, we have this morning a gospel dilemma to this human problem of isolation and aloneness. And Paul's going to show us in Philippians chapter two, verse one, that the fundamental issue of our isolation, loneliness, I believe, is that we've been designed to be in connection with God and relationship with other people. And when those are broken, then we have this sense of isolation and aloneness. So this morning, the sermon titled is this unity and community. How to live in relationship with God and others, and in Philippians chapter two, it divides easily into two parts: verses one, two, and one through four is a message to obey, and chapters five through eleven is a model to follow. So let's look at the message to obey, verses uh, one through chapter two, verses one through four. And here's a sentence summary of those first four, four verses. Paul saying this because of this do this by doing this, but not doing this. Do this, excuse me, because of this, do this by not doing this, but doing this. So let's go through this. Because of this, verse one, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, So he begins talking about unity with God and others by saying, first of all, because of your unity with Christ, you experience comfort, love, a tenderness, and a compassion. And he draws it back to our unity with Christ. You see, the point he's making is this is in building community with other people, we start first with building relationship with God. See, we've been designed by God to be in a relationship with God. And if that relationship is broken, there's an emptiness within us. Some people call this a a hole in our soul. It was designed by God, and only God can fill it. And this hole in our soul is infinite. And the problem is, we look at finite people and think they can fill this hole in our soul. And they can't. And we're frustrated with people because I have this hole and they're supposed to fill it and they can't fill it because it was designed to be filled by God. So the first thing is this is finding this unity community is to be united with Christ. And so he's saying, because of this, because you're united with Christ, you have something in you to give and live out in a relationship to others. Are you united with Christ? You know, you you don't have to be mad at God to be distant from God. You just need to ignore him. And I believe that God has designed you to be in relationship with him. And we come into relation with God through the person and the work of Jesus Christ where we rest in him. So how are we united with Christ? In the beginning of John, John's gospel, in John chapter one, verse 12, uh, it it says, yet to all who did uh, receive him, to those who have believed in his name. To them, he gave the right to become children of God. That's how we come in relationship with God, not just relationship, but we become adopted and identify with him. And so what we have is this, as cult followers of Christ, is the adoption of the family, and we become his child. Have you done that? Have you been united to God through the person of Jesus Christ? So because of this, he's talking to the church. Then he says, do this because of your unity with Christ, live in unity with others. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Uh, Paul is in jail, but he's joyous. And he says to the church in Philippi, I have joy, but you'll make it complete if you have this unity and community. And he describes it. Being like-minded, having the same love, one in spirit, one in mind. Now look at that for a moment. We want that. We long for that type of relationship with other people. And you know why? You were created for it. A place where you're with people that love each other, have the same mind, And have the unity. So here's my quandary. Here's my personal dilemma. I want that. And I just want to watch TV. I want that. And I just want to watch TV. And sometimes you have to surrender certain things to be in unity. But I think we all know the deepest part of us, we're created for that community. Why? Because when you're united with Christ, you've done this. Then do this, live in unity with other people. And he goes on to say, even though we long to have that, don't do this in the next verse, verse three. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. I think what he established is here It's two of the greatest inhibiting factors to being united to Christ and living in unity with God's children. It's pride and it's selfishness. Vain conceit, selfish ambition. These are the two things that can keep us to moving into the community that we actually long for. And if we look at ourselves honestly, we can point at those two and go, maybe that's, maybe that's, maybe that's the problem that's keeping us apart. Um, my wife and I, uh, Kim, uh, especially when we were earlier in marriage, uh, we would have some arguments and we'd fight back and forth. And, and uh, you know, we'd be going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And I really, at that moment, I really understood some of the problems of our relationship. It's just that, that selfishness and that pride. And one of the things I, I just really hated when we were having an argument is we'd be going back and forth, back and forth, and she would say something to me, and this thought would come into my mind, and this really bugged me when it would come into my mind. It would come into my mind, it was this. She's right. <laughs> you have been there? Yeah, you've been there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) They're right. And I'd be so proud that I wouldn't admit it. That I wouldn't serve her by apologizing. So many times those arguments would have been de-escalated if I said, you're right, I'm wrong, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Um, what makes it hard is like, you can say, well, that, it, it, would, it would kill me to do that. Well, maybe that part of you needs to die. Um, this self-centeredness and this ego, this pride, keeps us from enjoying unity with people. That we don't want to give up some of our time so that we can spend time with them. And if mistakes are made, we won't acknowledge our part of it and we won't move toward those in repentance and forgiveness. Listen, I don't want to bruise your ego I want to crush it because if we're all honest with each other, there's a piece of us that's dark and it needs to die or at least diminish. And it needs to be replaced with a healthy identity of your self identity in the person of Christ. So I can live of one or two ways. Try to live according to the ego I construct or I can live according to the imputed righteousness of Christ and my adoption as family and live from the fact that I'm a child of God. What's better? The ego I construct or my adoption as a child of God? And what moves me toward people is when I move from my status and identity as a child of God. One part of us needs to die so another part can live that you are an adopted child of God, to live in relationship with God and with others as well. Uh, we identify some of the problems there. And it says, but do this. And he gives us a way to go about it. Rather in humil- humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. You see in, in, in this verse here, this is the antidote to the poison, isn't it? The, the poison of pride and selfishness, rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, selfish ambition, but each of you to the interest of others. This is kind of funny when you look at what he's saying there. He's saying, hey. It's in your self-interest to look out for the interest of others. The most self-serving thing you can do is serve others instead of yourself. Those are the two solutions to the poison that inhibits us from being in the relationship that God calls us to be. By doing this, now, when you look at that, rather than humility, value others above yourselves, not look, look into your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others, that's a big ask. So here's this message to obey uh, do this by not doing this, but do this. So you can have this. And he moves from that now to a model to follow in chapter 2, verse 5. He says, In your relationships, with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And what we see here is then he is the model to follow. Now, as I was studying uh, verses 5 through 11, two things of all things came to mind. A verse that Jesus said, and the Gateway Arch in St. Louis, Missouri. <laughs> yeah, let me help you make sense of it. Here's the verse. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew twenty-three, twelve. Jesus described two ways to live life. For, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. He says there's two ways to live your life. Uh, if you want to exalt yourself, you'll be humbled, but if you humble yourself, you'll be exalted. And that's where the uh, Gateway Arch came in mind. I think we have a photo over here. And when you look at this arch, it, I'm reminded of this trajectory of life, and, and this is the way that an arch is shaped, is it goes something like this. And uh, you visit the arch, you get in, you're at the bottom, you go to the top, and then after a while, you come back down. And this arch is kind of what physical life is about, isn't it? I mean, you're born, and then you grow, and then you turn 40. And then everything is downhill from there. And here's 62. And here's 80. And if you're over 80, you're in overtime. But that's just kind of how life lives. But also, that's how existentially people live their lives, don't they? They start out at the bottom. They scratch and claw. They become famous. They become rich. They become popular. And they scratch and claw themselves to get to the top and then often they are humbled. And we've seen that in politics and movie stars of those who exalt themselves. So Jesus says, there's two ways to live your life. One of them, those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Proverbs says, uh, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. So that's one way to live life. The other way, though, is to live an inverted arch. And what Paul describes in Philippians chapter 5 verse 11 is the inverted arch of Jesus' life and his example. This is the mindset of someone who was exalted but he humbled himself to be exalted. Uh Uh-oh, I can't get those off easily. (laughs) And so when we look at this text... The first thing we see in the person of Christ is that uh, he relinquished his rights. Look at verse 6. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. And what we see is this. Jesus is in the very nature of God. He was enthroned. Jesus Christ is fully God. He always has been. And so he had the full rights. He's always been coexistent with the Father. He's been co-equal, co-eternal with God. Jesus is fully God and always has been. But he had these divine prerogatives and rights, and he did not use them to his advantage. If you have a more literal translation of scripture, he he did not see these as something to be grasped. He didn't cling to his rights as God. And what we see in the person of Jesus is that he lived life not with a closed fist, but an open hand. If we wanna model like Jesus, there's two ways you can live life. A closed fist where you grasp and hang on to your advantages and rights, or you live with an open hand. Living in community requires us to open our hands and give rather than get. Then Jesus Christ, who is highly exalted, fully God in the nature of God, he then, through the incarnation, became man. So he went from his... uh, Glory to the incarnation where God became man in the person of Jesus Christ. We see this in verse 7 by very by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So he's in the very nature of God, but he took the nature of the servant, and God the Son in humility became man, became human to save human humanity. So he was fully God fully human, so he could fully save the lost. If you want to know what, G- what God is like, look at Jesus. The writer of Hebrews says this, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. And what God did is he humbled himself, became a man in nature God, and became in nature a servant. Serving is how we build community. Where we move and serve other peoples rather than clinging to our own rights, we act as a servant and we take the nature of a servant. And then, after his incarnation, eventually, at the very bottom, there is the crucifixion. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by death, becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. And at the low point of his humility, he experienced death so that we could be reconciled to God. The purpose of the cross is Jesus died so we could live. He bore our sins so that we were forgiven our sins. He was forsaken by God so that we could be accepted by God. This is a demonstration of how much God loves us. This is what uh, Eugene, I mean, not Eugene Peterson, Tim Keller said, the gospel is this, we're more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. You know what the cross says? Is our sins are so great that Jesus died for us and his love is so great that he died for us. And this takes care of our separation. And because he's finished the work, there can be reconciliation with us and we can be united with God. But that was the bottom. It was not the end of the story because what we see there then is that God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name above every name. The resurrection is the exaltation of Jesus. And then it culminates in verses 10 and 11 That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Eventually, he who was dethroned is rethroned, enthroned and exalted and everyone everywhere will acknowledge this authority of Jesus. You see, this is the the mindset of Jesus that we're to follow is that when we humble ourselves, he exalts us and he lifts us up to the right place at the right time. So let's return to our opening question. How do we live in a relationship with God and others? How do we return to a relationship? Well, one of the things is I want you to trust the Holy Spirit will speak to you and tell you what you need to do. And one of the things I mentioned is this. You need to be united with Christ so that you can be in unity with other people. And so one of the first questions is this Are you in unity with Christ? Have you received him into your life? Have you believed in him? Have you, in essence, stopped ignoring him and turned to him and pursued a relationship? Another thing is this are, Are you in a community with other Christians? One of the things that Journey Church really encourages you to be a part of is to join a journey community. And that's where frequently I find encouragement, I find God's love, and actually the means in which God normally, often frequently, gives his comfort, encouragement, and love to people is through people. Do you realize that you are the person that God can use to bring love, encouragement, and strength to someone else. And do you know that you need someone to give love, encouragement, and strength? And you can't do that in isolation. You have to be in community. And a part of Christian discipleship is being in connection with other believers, not just in rows, but in circles, in Christian community. Um, I mean, kind of moved to wrapping things up. As I was looking at this and thinking about this text I was going to teach, uh, this is one of the things that I caught to mind about, you know, the exaltation, the incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection of Jesus. I'll just be straight up with you, all right. This is kind of hard to believe sometimes that all this really happened. And you may be here and you may be questioning Christianity and what Jesus did. And, and, and you're in good company because I have too. I, I have too while I was pastoring. I had some questions and not sure. And, and so I want to stand up here with integrity and preach what I believe. And, and I do believe this. And here's some reasons why. Uh, first of all, uh, just logically, I look at creation. There has to be a God. Um, Just logically, the idea that this all just came about, something as complex and complicated and beautiful as this, just, there's somebody that knows what they're doing, and it's God, just logically. Uh, Also, I look at the person of Jesus. This all happened 2,000 years ago, and, and here we are gathered around. There's just something about the longevity, and there's a staying power of this message of Jesus Christ. The other thing is the more I study the person of Jesus Christ historically, and just look at him as just a human leader if you don't believe it, he's God. He's a compelling person with a profound influence. The other thing is just the universal influence of this little movement that started in, in, in Israel 2,000 years ago has now spread around the globe. But another reason that's been consistent For me, over the years as I followed Christ, is I just have this sense that there's a God who loves and gives comfort and strength. Um, Let me wrap up with a story. In 1982, uh, Kim and I had been married, got married, we we had a newborn baby. Uh, We were living in Missouri. Uh, I had dropped out of Bible college. We were in student housing. Um, and I knew that we had to move out because I was dropped out of college, and I was working part-time at a Mexican food restaurant, and we really were wanting Kim to be able to stay at home with the baby. And here I am, like 22, 23. It It was just crushing me. And I walked out on the second... We lived on the second floor of our apartment, and I was getting ready to go to work, and I just sit down on the, on the concrete because we didn't even have a chair outside our door. And it was just all this weight was crushing on me. And before I was going to work, I was just sitting there kind of collecting myself, and all of a sudden, this bird flew by. And the Holy Spirit brought to mind, in God's Word, something that Jesus said in Matthew six twenty six: Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your Heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And, and when I read that, do you know what happened? I had comfort. I had joy. I had peace. Even though I had to figure out where to live, a job I didn't enjoy, financially strapped. I had that joy. That was in 1982. And that's been a consistent part of my life. Sometimes I haven't felt zero, zilch, not a nothing. But most of the time, there's this sense of I. what Kay Warren described, this joy that is a settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right and the determined choice to praise God in all things. And as I look at that moment in 82, it set in line of the trajectory of walking with Jesus, experiencing this joy that brought me to the point where I'm standing here talking to you today. I want all of you to experience the joy of being in a relationship with the God who created you. And I want you to enjoy the unity of being with like-minded believers because I believe you were created for that. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for the words of Paul and the truth that he gives us. Teach us, Father, how to rest in you. Lord, if there's someone here who is not united with you, By becoming a believer, may your spirit speak to them and draw them to you. And may they turn towards you rather than from you. May they stop ignoring you and pursue you. Because you created them to be in relationship with you. Father, open our eyes to opportunities to live in relationship with other people. And Lord, we ask that we would be a church that is characterized by joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.